Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bolick, your host, and we are getting ready for part two We are so fortunate to have Patrick Groff with us. He is the founder and developer of the Pocket Disc. His products are awesome, and we use them in therapy, and I can't wait to get into it. So get ready. Here comes part two. Every now and then, somebody comes out of nowhere and walks up to the booth with a little grin on their face. They flush out (laughs) of their backpack of Pocket Disc. We can tell by the evolution of our labeling and everything else. Wow, look at that thing. That's over five years old, and that thing (laughs) is beat up and dirty. But doggone it, if it's not in perfect shape, it's just a little floppier. But besides that, it's amazing how durable they are. And um, we've got dog owners that have had theirs for years and years. (laughs) And as far as dogs go, I mean, clearly it's not a chew toy. If you want a chew toy, give your dog a bone. Those are pretty much free. As a play toy and you put it back up on the shelf after you're done, it becomes something special for the dog. We're not here to talk about dogs, but everybody loves dogs and really goes a long way with the dogs. And they are amazingly resilient, even to that tooth, because when when their teeth penetrate the disc, it goes through the crocheted pore space and actually acts as like dental floss to scrape the tartar off the dog's teeth. Whereas if it bites a plastic frisbee, it just cracks it. So the durability factor, even in the dog world with the pocket disc, is pretty astounding. It's incredibly surprising that a cotton thing like that can hold up. And one last quick point on that, we are receiving our first batch of hemp-based pocket discs. And anybody who knows anything about hemp, it is the industrial plant that has no psychoactive properties. I think the North Carolina Hemp Growers Initiative had just gone through. I'm a huge advocate of converting cotton to hemp because it's so much less exhaustive of water and of pesticides to cultivate it. And the durability factor of hemp, because the microfibers are so much longer that when they're twisted together, unlike cotton, it is just so much stronger. So, you know, hemp was hugely important in World War One for all the rope and the cordage and the clothing and everything else. Hemp really kind of got a bad rap back in the day when it got associated with marijuana. Right. And there is a big movement. And I could tell you as a North Carolina resident, I've seen the way over the last 15 years, the the rural agricultural business and the manufacturing and textiles has all moved out. Not all Mm -hmm. of it, but a lot of it has has left right. something of ghost towns and it's it's tragic. And I personally believe that we could revolutionize the North Carolina agricultural economy by bringing hemp back, growing it where the cotton and tobacco used to grow and just have it explode and then harvest it there, mm. process it, spin it, and then create North Carolina-based companies that are producing denim, producing rope, producing whatever wow. you need to have a hemp-based agricultural boom for North Carolina. That is one of my huge side babies that I want to grow yeah. as pocket this grows. So that's the first step we have towards introducing the world to a superior product within the pocket disc realm and be able to just do our little part to raise awareness. And trust me, as soon as we are able to buy this stuff in North Carolina or Colorado or wherever we can get it, instead of China, right. you can believe that that's where it'll come from. But right now, most industrial hemp comes from China, which is ludicrous because right. we have the ability here to do all that and then some and really do great for the economy as well. So Sorry for my green soapbox. I had to jump on it, though, because it's something I really am passionate about. I totally get it, Patrick. I'm as enthusiastic as you are about it. You're just significantly more knowledgeable than I am about it. But bring it on. I think that's fantastic. I love it. Check out North Carolina Hemp Growers Initiative. I will. And uh, that'll, that'll be your place to read right there. I will. 
North Carolina Hemp Growers Initiative. And if you're listening, we'll have the link for that. So tell us a little bit about Fair Trade because it's so your company is part of the Fair Trade Federation. What does that mean? Well, the Fair Trade Federation is the U.S.-based organization that governs whether a company is legitimately fair trade or not. And, you know, it's a rigorous process to become members. I mean, we wanted to be in the Fair Trade Federation for years. I want to say it was two or three years. You got to just simply be in business before you can even apply for a couple of years to show business stability and, and growth before they'll even look at you. But what it's all about is a lot of what it sounds like. It's pretty intuitive, pretty self-explanatory. You know, it's no sweatshops. It's no child labor. It's above average wages. It's taking care of them in whatever the context of their culture is to be able to support them in a way that's not going to be abusive on a day-to-day basis. And to the opposite extreme, it actually takes it to where you're actually doing good by them. And so in our case, it's village-based production. And so we have, it's a model where it's been going on forever down there, but I can say that not everybody who imports from Guatemala is necessarily as concerned about whether a fair wage is being paid or who's producing it. But we do care. We take it very, very seriously. As soon as we learned that these had to be handmade, and then we learned that they could be made in Guatemala, and then we learned about how repressed the Mayans were by the Guatemalan government for all those years, and that now they're coming out the other side of it, and it's really a rough situation. They are very poor. I mean, a lot of our people that we work with still literally live in little tiny, you know, the corrugated tin roofs on top of like, you know, mud floors. I mean, it's literally dirt floors in a lot of these little homes. And this presents us with the opportunity to really impact some people's lives and make a difference down there. And so the water filtration system was above and beyond. I mean, the Fair Trade Federation never asked us to do that. That was just something that we already were members and that was what we wanted to do. And once we are in a situation where we can get all the villages with their water systems, then eventually village by village, we're going to go onto the stoves because the stoves down there are infamous for really bad indoor air quality because they're so smoky because they're wood fire based stoves and they're also inefficient and they're also dangerous so that as the kids are running around playing, sometimes burns occur. So the water is number one on our list. Doves are number two. And all this is sort of above and beyond the commitment just to make it happen. I'm kind of talking all over in tangents, but to bring it back to how we do it, one of the key elements for the fair trade methodology is to provide them with the resources they need up front to be able to get the materials so that they're not having to finance a terrible term, the cost of the cotton, or anything else they would need to be able to execute the production of the products. And so we actually front load and prepay all the materials. And then as soon as they're done, they drop them off. The village leaders get the payment for that batch of stuff. Then they get the next order. They get the deposit for the materials to go out and do it again and repeat. It's been happening month after month for the last eight years now. Could we go to China and do it? Yeah, we could go over there. We could get it done. But it's just not what we want. We do not want to have any factory-based anything. You know, we really want to do this as we are, very village cottage space and it's just really awesome and so yeah we're doing all this great stuff down there but then you flip to the other side which is up here and now we're getting these kids up off their tails. I mean, one of my biggest goals with this is to turn off the TV, put down the iPad, get up off your arse, and play. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Move. And we all yeah. know how yep. important movement is from a therapeutic and health and disease prevention yep. perspective. Yep. And functional movement because the pocket disc and the foot back just get kids moving in a functional but yet directive, purposeful play kind of way, which is a lot of things that we're working on with our little people. And you're right. It gets them moving and grooving. So, Patrick, that's pretty remarkable that you were able to set all that up, you know, in Guatemala and make all that happen. And it doesn't sound like it was probably that easy or was it easy? How did you make that happen? 
Well, infrastructure is there. And by that, I mean the knowledge of how to crochet. Uh And the products were already out there in the world. I mean, hats and sacks have been around for, what, 50 years now? The hippie hats, the pouches, all the different, what we call typico, because typico basically is just the the Spanish word for typical, like Uh. typical stuff you would see to buy at a a street vendor. It's all there. Pocket disc, all that was, is just a simple evolutionary step from existing knowledge and existing handmade technology. So the difficult part was the trial and error and dealing with the lazy guy who would rather swim than have a meeting on schedule and the other guys who let us down and weren't able to come through with the deadlines or the quality or all the other things. So really, once we got that nailed and we actually found our guy down there who's been a pillar of this company to be able to run the show down there for us, then the hard heavy lifting was done. From there, it was just a conscious decision on our part that we were going to absolutely ensure that these ladies were taken care of, got the fair wages they deserved, and we did it on under the methodologies that adhere to the fair trade standards. Ah. That is the difference right there. And so, no, that's not hard. Is it hard from a cash flow perspective? Absolutely. Because then you got a funky cash cycle where you're prepaying for, you know, 30 days in advance to get your product. Then it's shipped. So you're at like 40 days before you get it. Then you go shipping off to whoever, whether it's L.L. Bean or whoever, right. you know, what some big dog that sells these and they probably pay on 30 or 45 days. So you see immediately you do some quick math. The cash cycle right. from when we laid out the money to when we see the money for the sale is pretty rough. Right. So it's something that we've just sort of had to, at times, tighten the belt, keep things as lean and mean as possible. And it's just a conscious decision. And that's where the challenge lies. And that's where someday, when we really are able to look back and say, here we are, we did it. Look at how many of these we're selling and look at all the love everywhere. That's when we want to be able to go around and inspire these young entrepreneurs or old entrepreneurs, whoever. Hey, look at green business. Look at fair trade. We did it. So can you. Here's how. I don't want to keep this knowledge secret. I want to share it and make the world a better place. It's always been so critical to me to do more than just make a living. You know, I think one of the things you were uh, wondering about was what I was doing before I got into this business. I was getting ready to ask. And I used to own a mortgage company in my training. (laughs) The CEO looked at me and he said, look, I don't have a lot of rules, but one of them is don't ever write a loan that you wouldn't write for your mother. Mm. And that has stuck with me on all levels of all things that I do. Wow. From that point forward, you know, it's such an inspirational comment right. and such a guideline, a pillar of how to do business ethically. You need to have more than just make money principle that was ingrained in me, really by my dad. I had my dad to think he was the director of the Office of Rare Disease Research up at NIH for years and years and years. So back to the mortgage part of things. For the first four years I was in it, we were doing all these exclusively refinance loans where we would go out and debt consolidate and restructure people's financial messes uh, to get them away from these awful finance companies that were hitting them for 24% and fees every month and they were just going backwards, literally. And that held a lot of value for me because I knew in my heart, I was making their life better. I was saving them hundreds of dollars a month and getting them a light at the end of the tunnel to be able to repair their financial world. Sure. But anyway, so the mortgage business just kind of evolved to where it was much more about right. schmoozing realtors and making sure you could get the flow of deals. Then it was suddenly all about making money and getting the next deal and how you're going to get the next deal to keep the family fed and totally lost all value or meaning for me. It was so transactional. There was no passion in it. So I was pretty ripe for the picking that <laughs> night, that disc 
flew at me. Um, <laughs> and we, we continued to water ski two jobs for a good two, two and a half years so that we didn't take any money out of the company. And then it was finally in 2011 when we broke away mm-hmm. and me and my partner, Chris, at the time, who was the original thrower of the doily, uh, we went full time. Right. That went really well for a year and a half, two years. And then we decided it was probably time to part ways. He went back to his first love of solar power. I wow. believe his last I've heard, he's still selling solar power. Mm. And, you know, I bought him out and took over the company 100% and really haven't looked back. It's been uh, awesome, incredibly educational, incredibly challenging, incredibly just holistic from the perspective of every single possible aspect of the business that I was so clueless about. I mean, I knew we would sell a million. I said to him, we're going to sell a million of these. He's like, I know. And we did. It just <laughs> took seven years to do it. And we had no idea what we were getting into. So <laughs> I feel like I could write a book, a book at this point based on all I've learned about how to bring a product to market and everything else way harder than anything I ever thought it would be. What advice would you give somebody who's got an idea who wants to take it to the next step? What advice would you give them? I would say a few things. One is to reach out to as many people who will talk to them that have already done it or are doing it. The easiest way to establish those relationships would be every industry, no matter what your widget or service is, has a trade show, probably a local and definitely a national one. Sign up to go as a visitor. It's pretty cheap. Walk the show. Go up to the brands and the products that really strike a a resonant chord for you and talk to them. Not everybody's going to be super sweet and patient, but most people are. Almost everybody has been there, and if they've gone through it, they're usually, if time allows, and if it doesn't there, a lot of times it's a follow-up phone call, they want to share their knowledge. I can tell you, in my case, if someone approached me and they have, I want to share my knowledge. I want to help them avoid a lot of the BS and a lot of the wasted money and wasted time that we went through. So educate yourself, get knowledgeable. If possible, don't invent a widget, invent a service because then you don't have inventory. But if you do invent a widget and you got to have inventory, (laughs) then be aware of what that means and what your cash flow cycles are going to be like. Because to pick up a Dick Sporting Goods, for example, who we worked with for two and a half years, a few years back, Pick up a Mongo like that, that requires a serious amount of capital just to be able to fund that first purchase order and get the product you need. So there's a lot of aspects there. Now, the next thing I would say is keep it as lean and mean as you can, which is obvious. And as long as you can get your income from another source income, you should, because then you're going to be able to keep dumping your money right back into the company that it's generating. But I would say... It is so critical to get your brand vision, your brand logo and name together and stick to it and nail it the first time. Because one of the biggest things I regret about my company is Pocket Disc has grown to where it's now a product. It's not a company. So Pocket Disc shouldn't make hacky sack. Pocket Disc shouldn't make headband. Some parent company should. And and that's what we're working towards presently is Ah. to really strike this brand name to go above Pocket Disc and be able to be the the Nike or the Patagonia that produces a line of product. And, you know, you really got to know out of the gate where your vision is, who your market is, and really nail that name. I think that's so critical because then that's when you can have all the stickers and the hats and the the trucks with the logos on them and all these different things you do to build a brand. And unfortunately, we haven't really been able to do that or because we haven't had that parent company name. And because we've ridden pocket disc this long and we're going to continue to, but it's time. 
it's time for my company to go to the next level. I've got to get that right. And then I've got to launch it. And that's what is primary focus for 2017. That's going to be our thing right there. I appreciate your candidness with that because I have found through the years that when I ask questions of people that have also started different businesses or have a, a unique idea or whatever, sometimes people are very forthcoming with information. They'll tell me all kinds of stuff. And usually those people are the real deal. Sometimes when people aren't so forthcoming with information, they really are Maybe they're not really the ones who are walking the walk. Did that sound well, too negative? You, you know, that wasn't negative. I think that, I mean, what you're saying, you know, could be viewed two ways. I and mean, there's two scenarios. I think if somebody has a proprietary product that they're working towards putting a patent on, mm-hmm. sure, be hush-hush about it, you know, mm-hmm. no problem. But, you know, if you're an established business guy and you've succeeded, you've made it happen, I really think, and this is just my philosophy in life, but when you break it down to the individual, most individuals are going to reach out and they're going to help you. If yeah. you need help. And and that's why I feel so at ease in, in Guatemala. I've never in the, what would it equate cumulatively speaking to probably 10 months worth of time I've been down there over the last nine years, never once felt unsafe, even though it has a name for violence. Most of the violence is sort of gang violence on itself within the city. But I just know that at the core, most people have good hearts or want to have good hearts and want to do the right thing. They just either because of circumstance or time or distraction or stress, they're maybe not able to help out, you know? When you find that sweet spot within someone's world to where they do have the time and you work with their time frame, most people are going to open up and talk to you and share their wisdom. And that would be the biggest number one thing that I would suggest these new entrepreneurs do is pick the brains of the people who have succeeded. Why reinvent the wheel? Yeah, and yeah. most and you're right. Most people do want to tell you, and actually they're thrilled when you ask, and they really do want to show, share their story because inevitably, mostly it's a fascinating, exciting, inspiring story. Most people want to tell about it. So, Patrick, I want to share with everybody real quickly before we end our podcast. You sell other products besides just the pocket disc. You've got the foot sacks. You've got the hockey puck things, but you also have these headbands and you've got some headbands that are crocheted and we see lots of little people with uh, cochlear implants and so recently we were seeing a little girl and she's about 15 months old and she's been, has bilateral implants in there. They've only been on for a couple of months now and so they are constantly falling off of her head because the magnum is not very strong because if you can imagine just this little 15 month old girl, girl her skull is not that thick so the magnets are just not that strong yet. She's also working on moving and crawling and she right now likes to scoot across the floor on her back. Well, every time she lays on her back, both of the implants fall off. When the implants fall off, this little girl can't hear. So there's a whole area of her brain that's not being stimulated. So basically, she has to keep these implants on, but she also has to move. And so so we were looking at this situation and problem solving and at the toy fair in New York, we had bought one of those crochet headbands from you guys. And I looked at Kirsten and said, you still have that headband in your bag? And she did, thank goodness. And so we got this headband fan out and it's perfect. It's not too tight on the little girl's head. It's loose enough that it, it holds both implants. We put it on over top of both implants and then we took the little parts of the implants that go around her ears but they don't stay on her ears that great and we put them through the little holes on the headband and it worked. It completely keeps the both implants on her head. She's not bothered by it at all. They don't fall off. It's not binding. You can quickly easily take it off, put it on. She leaves it on all day. She kind of forgets about it even on her head. And it's so stinking cute. It's not even funny. But I think we're on to something, Patrick. There's lots of opportunities out there. <laughs> wow. 
What a story. No, I, I just love the idea of taking something that has no intended use to be anything. I mean, we never even, I never even knew about those implants. And to hear you say that and to basically MacGyver a, uh, a solution is awesome. really, really awesome. And, you know, those are designed for adults. So if we eventually need to do a baby size one, that's no problem at all. I, I don't know no, the, how you manage to make it fit on the baby's head. That's pretty cool. The implant takes up the extra space. So we actually need it to be the adult size because on her head it's too big but when you put both implants underneath the headband then it's the perfect size because it's not too tight but yet the implants make it so it's tight enough but not so tight that it would be confining because I think if it was an infant size or a child size she wouldn't like it because it'd be really tight on her head so anyhow it's perfect just like it is and so we love it and we're using it and we're so excited we don't know what to do with it so now this little girl can hear whereas before her implants were coming off all day long it's pretty impressive wow that's about all i can say yeah thank you i'd say you changed it but i just happened to be lucky that we made that but that's just terrific i love hearing stuff like that so thank you for sharing that you know where there's a will people there's a way anyway so patrick i think you've talked to us a lot about the future with the pocket desk we've heard a lot about sounds like you're getting into the therapy world so we can't wait to hear more about that and the ot association the ot where you were at that conference so we're excited about that anything else new on the horizon with pocket desk yeah we definitely have a couple new games we're launching and the hemp line but um, this whole therapeutic side is something that really is heartwarming for us and and I'm very excited about you know I don't know if in all this talking we had a real chance to get into some of the actual therapy applications and if you want to take a second and and share any of your insights I know I've talked to my friend who plans to sort of take over this part of the business and run with it and uh, he had mentioned a little bit of information that I could go ahead and shout out there for your question number four what he says is that the most the most therapeutic uses just simply mobility. Says there's an increased awareness of the value of movement in preventing disease and improving health. So, uh, you know, he goes on to say hundreds of research studies show the value of just simply moving around and playing. And our priority here at Pocket Disc is get people of all ages, but especially the kids, to get up and go out and play, you know, and that's always been our mission. But it turns out it sounds like it has some real health benefits within the therapy world. He uh, saying that movement has so many benefits. One of our biggest campaigns is to help the prevention of childhood obesity. Mm-hmm. And to help kids and people with asthma improve their mobility as well, that there's direct correlation to uh, improve quality of life, mm-hmm. and medical health benefits, less anxiety, improved attention span, and all sorts of benefits of movement and playing, whether it's structured or unstructured. And, you know, at the core, that's what we're about, fun and anywhere, you know, just that's his two cents as far as all this goes as well. And Patrick and I, we've agreed to work together a little bit in the new year, talk about some more therapeutic applications for these products, but just offer some of the ways we've been using them as like a little teaser for what more to come. So stay tuned, people. It'll be fun. Sounds awesome. So, Patrick, thanks so much for being with me today. This was awesome. I loved hearing your story. I love hearing about your company. The products are fantastic for any therapist who isn't out there using them. Can you tell people where they can get them? I know, for example, we have them for sale on our website at pediatricdt.com under therapy resources, but I know that there's a lot more places. So where can you get these products if people are looking for them? Well, certainly pocketdisc.com is an easy way to see most everything we have. But And disc is with a C in case anybody is wondering. Pants, pocket, and disc. You know, so pocketdisc.com. 
There you but go. typically in most towns and cities around the country, we're either going to be in the specialty toy store or the specialty outdoor gear store. So like your local hiking, camping outfitter, possibly if there's a local kite store, those would be the three places to check if you want to go get your hands on them in person. Otherwise, go to your therapy website or pocketbook.com and yep. they're all over the internet. You can just about Google them anywhere. Yeah, you know? they should check out your website because it's got more about your story on there and about the Fair Trade Federation in Guatemala and how they're made. So you got a great website website and also really quick and easy to see all your product. You make it simple for people, which is nice. So thank you so much for being with me today. Go get a pocket disc, people. They are so much fun. Use them in therapy or use them in your backyard with your kids. Every time I bring these things home for my kids, they like go to school with them and I never see them again. So they're awesome. I mean, they're so much fun. Go get one of these. Use them in therapy. Just use them in your regular life. Get outside and play and have fun. Sounds great. Thank (laughs) you so much for having me. This has been a real treat. All right. Thank you, Patrick. I appreciate it so much. Thanks everybody for listening. I had a great time. Check out the show notes. We've got the North Carolina Hemp Growers and the Fair Trade and the Green Business and PocketDisc.com. So all of those references are there on the show notes. You can also check out other episodes of The Working Therapist on TheWorkingTherapist.com. We're also on iTunes and Stitcher. And you can go to PediatricDT.com. And also, again, check out his stuff at PocketDisc.com. Had a great time, and I'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 